If you are here for the first time, we are in uh, the second week today uh, of what we call a practice. And for us, we want to not just uh, hear about the way of Jesus and learn more information about him, though that's critical and necessary. We also want to put... Uh, the, the ways of Jesus into practice. And so a, a couple of times a year, we do what we call a practice. We'll have a six-week sermon series. And then while that sermon series is happening, we have groups all around the greater Prescott area, uh, not just studying, but putting into practice these things. And so uh, last week, hopefully you were a part of one of our, our practice groups. We'll be back in those this week. And Ron is going to go ahead and, and teach for our second uh, week this morning. I forgot I was up for a second. I was just <laughs> enjoying, and I hope this Ron guy is... Oh, that's me. <sighs> Spending a couple weeks having this really, really good conversation about prayer, and um, I know for some of you, your prayer life, communicating with God is some of the richest, most special part of your relationship with him. And then there are others of you that it kind of comes and goes, or maybe still others yet where you've never really quite seen where prayer uh, clicks for you or uh, quite understand what happens when we're praying and whatnot. And I get all of that. And so I think it's worth us having the conversation. I'm going to apologize in advance. I got props (laughs) this morning. Um, Take a look at that. Looks like me with a smaller nose, and um, but just <laughs> yeah, just just apologies for just a minute. Go with me for the purpose of the illustration, um, because I know that God is spirit. He's not styrofoam or even um, anything pale like this. But um, pretend for just a moment that this represents God. Now, when you and I begin to understand who Jesus is, what he's done for us, that we're now in this relationship with him, it can be kind of interesting. And and what does this relationship look like? Because I can't really see him or touch him or feel him, but yet we know there's this relationship going on. And so um, he uh, loves to interact with us, speaks through us primarily through his word, and we can kind of latch on to that. But there's all these other relational components that come into play. And so the further along that we walk with God, now we're in this relationship and we enjoy parts of it until there are moments where we get the sense that I think I would rather go do something over here with those people that I know he's not going to enjoy. And so what might get triggered initially is just a little bit of a, hey, God, I know uh, we're in this relationship together, but here's the deal. I'm going to spend the next couple of hours um, in conversation with some other people, and the way that they talk and the nature of the conversation may not be something that you really enjoy me being a part of. So what I'm going to ask, if you don't mind, God, is um, if you just... For a while, God, please just don't listen to what I'm saying. God, could you please just kind of tune out? I don't want you to hear what I'm going to say with these people for the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, maybe maybe the next couple of months even, God. So just uh, check out. I don't want you to listen to what I'm, I'm saying. While we're at it, God, um, 
we may end up moved from conversation to actual behavior or activity that you may not be super into. And so um, I was just kind of hoping, God, that maybe um, you would also not watch what I'm doing either. So don't listen to what I'm saying. Don't watch what I'm doing. And then, you know, you've got this like really amazing gift to speak into certain moments that I would prefer maybe you don't uh, speak into. So don't listen to what I'm saying. Don't watch what I'm doing. And then, God, can you just please zip it for a while? Now, like most of you, even if you're not like a follower of Jesus yet or whatever, you click and you go, if he's God, then this is entirely inappropriate. Instantly, we start to react and go, this doesn't seem right. There's something wrong about this. And maybe then a tendency would be, okay, wait a minute, please forgive me, God. I'm not supposed to um, really relate with you in this capacity. And then who am I to tell you, God Almighty, that you can't listen to what I'm saying? I mean, I can't prohibit that. And Who am I to tell you don't watch what I'm doing? Who am I to tell you don't speak up? And so please forgive me, God. We're not going to go that that direction. I apologize. But you know what? Over time here, God, um, I don't know if this whole relationship thing's working out for me. And so I know I can't tell you what to do, but I certainly have got my own choices to make. And so, God, I'm just not going to listen any more to what you have to say. And, uh, you know, if I'm honest with you, God, I don't think I'm very interested in watching what you're up to. I don't want to see what you're doing. I don't want to observe how you're moving. I'm not really interested in watching what you're up to. And we've gone this far, God, the honesty is that I really don't want to talk to you. <laughs> should have done this a different order. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you either. <laughs> nice try, God. silly as that is, we all understand that that's not relationship, is it? And if we interacted with friends, family, whoever, in that capacity, how good of a relationship would we have? It wouldn't be very good. Prayer is such an essential component because communication is key in relationship. And prayer is one of the primary ways that you and I have communication with God, which therefore builds our relationship with God. Last week, Landon talked about the Lord's Prayer and how when it comes to prayer, given to us by Jesus as a model prayer, that the Lord's Prayer does an amazing job of reminding us, I mean, almost every phrase who we are talking to. 
and that the real power of prayer is not necessarily in the words that come out of our mouth or the order or being super articulate about it, but the power of prayer is in who we're praying to. And so for us to remember that we're praying to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Daddy, I mean, that's so key and so foundational to our prayer life. But prayer is essential in communication with God. It's essential in our relationship with God. You and I are aware that prayer changes things. I hope that you know that. I know there are seasons where it may not feel like prayer changes things, but prayer does change things. Prayer has power. Prayer can bring healing Physical, spiritual, emotional healing. Prayer can help you make decisions. Prayer can protect you in a spiritual battle. Prayer can bring more workers to the harvest when we pray for that. Prayer can bring strength and comfort. Prayer changes things. But what I would love to zero in on today is not so much what God does through our prayers, but what God does in us when we pray. Does God do a tremendous amount through us in prayer? You bet. But what I would love to zero in on is what God is doing in us when we pray. Especially for those of you that wrestled with it or wonder why. Rather than getting the sights out on the end goal or what's going to change out there or how he's going to answer over here, maybe first and foremost coming to him in prayer going, Lord, whatever you need to do in me as we have a conversation, as I listen, as I open my heart, whatever you need to change in me, I'm open to that in this time of prayer, in that relationship. Prayer can change your outlook. And I think a lot of us need our outlook changed. We need our perspective changed, our frame of mind changed, our vantage point changed. Have you ever been really, really exhausted? I mean, beyond comprehension exhausted. Kate has... (laughs) Did being exhausted affect your outlook? Did it affect the way that you saw stuff going on around you? How many of you have ever been really cocky, arrogant, or prideful? Did that change the way that you saw stuff? Did that affect your outlook, frame of mind on the people around you, circumstances, etc., etc.? How many of you ever had like kind of like a victim mentality? Has that ever changed your outlook or frame of mind on what's going on around you? What about your frame of mind on you, your frame of mind uh, outlook on who God is? How many of you have been lonely? I've had that in just the last couple of years, these waves of it. When you're lonely, does that affect the outlook that you have on life or people or God? You bet. And knowing that 
one of the huge ways that God has to minister to us with regard to our frame of mind, our perspective, our outlook, our vantage point is prayer is huge. Because it's saying, God, this is my outlook. This is my frame of mind right now. And I would love to invite you into my outlook. I'd love to invite you into my frame of mind. Because a lot of us as Christian people think that, okay, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I have faith in him and God is good. And so I don't think I could ever even bring up anything I'm struggling with. I don't think I could ever say to him in prayer that, like, I don't like my life right now. I don't really know if I could be honest because how could I? I mean, God, he sent his only son and, you know, and so we we stuff a lot of stuff that the enemy's up to or this broken sinful world is affecting us with. And then that cuts off, okay, the minute I can't be open and honest in a relationship with God, well, then why talk? But the invitation is, you can come to me, God says, with anything and everything. Let's just talk, please. When my kids were little, one of my favorite things when they were little and they were talking but they couldn't talk good yet, was when they would just crawl up on my lap and blabber out some sort of, you know, they get five or six real words mixed with 10 or 12 not real words. And when that happened, did I berate them for not using proper grammar or that's not the word for, no. I just loved that they crawled up on daddy's lap and wanted to have a conversation. And I got to think that God's the same with me and you. It's not this formula. It's not this perfection. It's not the proper grammar. He, he loves just when we crawl up on his lap and pour out our, our hearts. Even when our outlook is downcast, maybe legitimately so, or maybe it's downcast and we really don't have any reason to, but we just don't know it yet. Elijah. In the Old Testament, this week in your practice groups, if you're in one, the study in the practice groups will be taking a look at Elijah, and in particular, a moment where he goes to the top of Mount Carmel and dukes it out with the prophets of Baal, and he conquers all the prophets of Baal that are worshiping this this fake god. It's a pretty triumphant, spectacular moment, one of my favorites in in Scripture. But after the course of that, if you want to read it, if you're not in a group or whatever, then 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Go read that this week. And you'll see how Elijah's outlook uh, gets affected over the course of this experience. Elijah exerts himself in this spiritual showdown. He gets exhausted in the spiritual showdown. God does an amazing work in this spiritual showdown. Do you know how much... The enemy loves to come and trounce you right after you've just had some amazing experience with God. Some of you that got baptized a couple of months ago, we talked about that, that, hey, you're getting baptized Sunday. Don't be surprised if Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday stuff gets really bad because God's taken some ground in your life and the enemy loves to take that back as quickly as possible before the roots are are laid. 
You want a big target spiritually painted on your back, then just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And then here comes the target. And Elijah did his part, but God really was the faithful one. I mean, he shows up and does a miracle and triumphs in battle. But through the course of that, all of these things affected Elijah's outlook. He starts kind of getting a little bit of a victim. He thinks he's kind of a martyr. He thinks he's the only spiritual one left amongst God's people. Then this queen, the villain, gets word of what Elijah's done. She sends word to get back to Elijah. Hey, I'm going to kill you the same way you killed all the prophets. And now he's afraid and he runs. After this great spiritual moment, his outlook is real shifty after this very noisy season in Elijah's life, and he goes running. And now, look, his outlook is not victor champion anymore. Now his outlook is this. First Kings chapter 19. I can just read it to you. It'll be on the screen. First Kings 19 verse 3. Listen. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. One of the great men of God, a prophet of God, this is him being honest with where he's at. He said, I have had enough Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. You ever been there? Ever been in that spot where you just said, I've had enough? Ever been in the spot where you said, I can't take it anymore? Ever been in that spot where you just go, I I don't even know if this is worth it, or does anybody love you? Anybody follow you? You ever been there? where your outlook is bleak and dark? If the answer is yes, then you're in really good company, biblically speaking. It seems to be quite the state of humanity over the generations. Well, now, Elijah is invited by God to sleep and eat and then wake up and eat again and then sleep and then eat and sleep. There's your spiritual permission for a nap today and a good meal today. God's in all of that stuff. But what I love about this is that then he says, I need to nourish you because there's still a mission for you, Elijah. I just need to recalibrate your outlook by slowing you down. I need to recalibrate your frame of mind by quieting and stilling down your life so you can hear me and sense me. Elijah, on the food that he's eaten and the rest that he's had, takes a 40-day hike to the Mount of God, Mount Horeb. God instructs him. He says, I'm going to pass by. Get inside the cave. And you know the story. He gets up inside the cave, and the presence of God comes by, But first, there's a big old wind. I mean, scary, scary wind. God's not in the wind. Then there's a big old earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. Then there's massive fire. God's not in the fire. 
But then eventually the presence of God does show up and it shows up in a gentle whisper. You know, I would love if God just always showed up disruptively and triumphantly and instantly and tangibly. But I think a lot of times God shows up in the still, quiet, mellowed out, slowed down moments where we can just talk, where I can listen. The volume of the noise of the world gets turned down and the volume of God's voice gets cranked up. And so much of that happens in prayer. So much of that happens in the word. Because it's easy for me to think about prayer when I'm talking to God, but what do I do when I'm just listening? When you pray and just be still and be quiet, sometimes he'll give you a peace, a comfort. There's no words really audible, but you'll just, ah, thank you, Lord. Or sometimes through the word, look at this thing right here. This is the living word of God. Jesus is the word become flesh. Do you know much how he's already said to us? I got, I got a whole bunch of questions. Oh, cool. Start reading. Because I got a whole bunch of answers. No, I want it right now. Slow down. You can pray the scriptures even. You open them up and take a look. You go, well, I've tried that before. I've tried praying and nothing happened. Okay. I get that. There are those seasons where we pray and pray and pray and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. It's like we're talking to a wall. But to quote the great theologian Garth Brooks, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And there's something that, that is, rings so true that God's always on the move and he's always there, but he doesn't always answer in the way that we want, the timing that we want, the manner that we want, but it doesn't mean that the prayer isn't worth it. Maybe he's just got a different plan. I think the enemy would love just to cut off communication. And if we think that prayer is me, the means for me to get what I want and I didn't get for I, what I want, so now I stop talking, well, then we're done. It's over. But if prayer is just this ongoing relational cultivation, then that's a different, it's a different ball game. I went through many seasons where I haven't wanted to pray or I just stopped praying altogether. I went a good month one time where I just... I couldn't do it. And then eventually, I just said, God, I don't want to pray to you. I don't even want to. He said, guess what you just did? Oh, okay. You mean I could just talk to you? And Yes. Now, I didn't hear the audible voice, but like, he rope-a-doped me with the whole thing. It was, oops, I am praying. I... And I think we see a lot of that in Scripture. You know, Psalms gives us a lot of model prayers. If you turn to the book of Psalms, we'll land there for a little bit and wrap this up. 
but Psalms give us a lot of model prayers. And I'll tell you what many of these have in common. The people that are writing the Psalms or that were songs or prayers oftentimes, here's what they, a lot of them had in common. One, the people were wiped out. And two, they were honest about it. And if that's not just kind of a cool invitation or permission for me and you to kind of maybe make more robust our prayer life, if you're wiped out, if you've tried and it hasn't worked, if you don't even have anything left to say anymore, good. You're in good company. Romans 8 says that when we don't even know what we should pray for, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf and translates for us what's going on in here. We don't have the words. The Spirit says, I'll cover for you. That's pretty spectacular. Just catch a glimpse of some of the, the honesty in some of these prayers from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm chapter 6, verse 2 and 3 be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how, how long? How long am I wait like this? It goes on a couple of verses later, verse 6. I'm weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my pillow and drench my bed Every night, my eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. How, any of you feel like it would be just a waste of time to tell God that? I think the enemy would get us to think so. But I think a really robust part of our prayer life, especially what he wants to do in us, is giving us permission to be completely transparent with how we're feeling, devoid of what's next. And if you've got that because your heavenly daddy knows he wants that, do you think he doesn't know how you're feeling? He doesn't know what enemies are attacking you? He doesn't know what hardships you're facing? He doesn't know what your emotional situation is? He knows. Sometimes you saying it defines your outlook. If you don't say out loud what your outlook is, it may be hard for you to move your outlook to what God would have your outlook be. And so you just saying, here's where I am. I don't know if it's legit or not, but I'm a mess. The pillows soak through every single night, or these people are driving me crazy, or I'm hurting inside, outside, sideways, you name it. You're just coming before him honestly. Verse 22, Psalm 22 says this, My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Ever been there? But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You've got an invitation to that sort of transparency with God to say, I'm asking you for stuff, and you're not answering. At least I'm not catching it, or I don't hear it, or, okay, you can tell him that. Psalm 25 says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase 
Bring me out of my sufferings. Hear the honesty there. You see, it's not just okay to be completely transparent and honest with where you're at. It's important. That's why we have this time of confession and repentance to remind us that we can be open and real and honest with our God. But then in any moment of conversation and prayer with him, developing a relationship, don't you enjoy relationships where it's below the surface? I mean, at least with the ones that are closest to you. But if you feel like they're always shoving stuff or surfacey or whatever, it's pretty difficult to have a close relationship. I can't remember who said it now because the thought's just hitting me, but it's somebody old and somebody famous. But they, they said, how can you really know me if you don't know what hurts me? And sometimes just being vulnerable with God that way, I think, is it's really healing and helpful. Okay, look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13 in your Bible. This is a psalm of David. When David, in the Old Testament, he was a follower of God. When he was on with God, he was really on. And when he was off, he was really, really off. And I love the honesty of David here. Psalm 13, verse 1. And maybe, maybe this, this, you pray the word of God by praying this as your prayer this week. Maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's not. Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? How long? This kills me because I know there's so many here in this room who, that's the question you're asking. Maybe you haven't verbalized it yet, but it's, it's been there. How long, God? How long am I going to have to suffer? How long am I going to have to put up with this? How long am I going to have to hurt? How long am I going to have to handle this? Because it's really natural. The longer that you and I suffer, the easier it is for you and I to assume that God has forgotten us. It really makes sense. I mean, on a human level. If he's a good God... And for the last 20 years, I've just been hurting and suffering. I can't reconcile the two. And being honest with that, with him, that's the first step. God, I can't reconcile it. I can't, I can't close the gap between your good and I'm suffering for years and years and years. A good conversation, a good robust prayer life will express that. And then he goes on in verse He says, consider me and answer, Lord my God, restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. Death there could mean literal death, it could mean defeat. Many of you are just walking around and you just feel defeated. Or there are seasons upcoming where you may feel that way. And being honest uh, with God with that I think is the first step. Verse 4, my enemy will say, I have triumphed over him. And that just makes it worse. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. 
If you're shaken, then you're not secure. And if you don't know that God is in charge, you don't know that how much he loves you just as you are, you're going to be insecure your whole life if you don't know him and you don't know how much you're loved. And that's the core foundation. And the enemy loves to get us doubting that question in a million different ways. So being honest is so, so key. But then in these Psalms where we are completely honest with God, I love there's always a turn. There's always a shift. And in our prayer life, this is important. Being completely bold, transparent, honest in your prayer conversations with God. Step one and huge. But you also have to make the turn. Make the turn. Here's the turn. Look at verse five. But. God, I am a mess. I'm horrible. Everybody hates me. I'm an emotional wreck. I've got no money. I've got no friends. I don't know where to turn. I've got a physical issue. I've got an emotional issue. I've got a spiritual issue. I've got a relational issue. I've got a mental issue. I don't know if you care. I don't know how long I'm going to have to suffer. Did you forget me? Are you walking away? Do you have anything for me? I'm about to give up. Would you please answer me? I am a mess. There's your prayer life. And then, but, but God, here's what I'm going to proclaim. Here's what I'm going to state. Here's what I'm going to speak. Here's what I'm going to say. And then allow you to close the gap between what my heart feels and what my head knows to be true. And that's big. The enemy would just love to keep the gap between here's how I feel, therefore that's what is true. But what we know to be true isn't just our feelings or our emotions. And I'm saying that coming from a guy that is driven by emotion, not logic. I'm a feeler, I'm not a thinker. And so when I start to feel a certain way, I kind of lose my way. And that's where this is especially helpful for me, somebody like me, because I often have to speak the truth, say the truth, sing the truth in worship so that my heart will catch up. I have to obey. I have to speak what is true and good first, even when I don't feel like it, especially in prayer. God, I'm a mess, but, but God... I know you're there, but God, you are the holy one, the righteous one. Look at what David says, verse five and six, but I have trusted in your faithful love. That word love there is the Hebrew word hesed, and it's too robust of a word to unpack precisely in English, but it's really tied to the covenant relationship that God has with us. A promise. God doesn't break his promises. And we need to remind ourselves that he doesn't break his promises. And that that's more true than what we're experiencing or what we're feeling. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. 
There's the turn. And that turn is huge for me and you too. Here's, here's the plan. The plan in your prayer life is just to stay put and recognize that God's already there. What, what if when it comes to prayer or you recognize finally the need to pray or you have a desire to pray, what if the plan is less about you trying to get to God and more about the reality that he's already right there next to you? And he's never going anywhere. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Thankfully, when I treat him that way with the mannequin head that we were talking about, I, I would leave. I would walk away if I were him. But he doesn't. He stays right there. And what he enjoys more is just an honest thing, even if it's questioning stuff, even if it's processing stuff, even if it's pouring out the, the heart. And so lastly, you might summarize, because I really think that God does want to change our outlook, our frame of mind, and I'd say it maybe this way. Take a look. Prayer can change our outlook as we, one, just shush already. And maybe that has to do with your actual words that you're speaking. But, but more than that, I think that maybe the ambient noise of our life is just too loud, too busy, too noisy, too much, period. And God's speaking constantly through his word. He's speaking through his creation. He's speaking through dear brothers and sisters. And we're going, God, why don't you say something? Well, because we need to shh. Just like you got Elijah rested and nourished and quieted down and then shows up in a whisper. Maybe we need a lot more space carved out for the whispers. And maybe if only you can whisper back to God in your prayer life, no, that's okay too. If you don't have the words, that's okay. The Spirit does. And is praying along with you. And second, listen for how he's come to us already. When you go to him in prayer, try to carve out that quiet space and then listen for how he's come. He's already here. He's already with you. You ever have those friends that um, go, hey, I, I need some advice. I got like two or three questions to ask you. Can we get coffee so I could ask you the questions? And then you go sit down with them, and for two hours and 24 minutes, they just da 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 and they finish. There was no question in there. They don't want to ask any questions. They just want to vent or rant. And that has its place, but I can get that way with God. I got a whole bunch of questions, and then I just talk rather than, Lord, here's what I'm wondering right now. And he goes, awesome. John chapter 4, verse 3. Oh, I got to go actually do something about that. I can't just, yeah, open up. I, I'm speaking to you all through here in these pages. I got, you got a whole bunch of questions. I got a whole bunch of answers. But listen, he'll come to you in his word. Listen, he'll come to you in a sense of peace. Listen, because he might affirm it through a brother and sister that you trust that's walking with the Lord and will affirm or deny stuff that you're wrestling with. But he's already there. Third, speak completely transparently with him. Just be brutally honest. You can be. You're driving, you're sitting, you're sleeping, you're together. Just feel free to be honest. He already knows what you're dealing with. And then four, 
This is the one nobody likes. I don't like it either. Wait on him for a turn in our outlook. The waiting part. Wait on him. Because he may turn your outlook here. He may close the gap as you just are honest. Hey, I'm a mess. I'm this. I'm that. This is what's going on. That's all important to express. But so is the turn. God, I know that you are this, this, and this. And if you don't know, then go to him again. God, I don't know who you are. So I can't close the gap. But if you wait on him and you say, this is where I'm at and this is what I know to be true, now I'm going to wait until you align or reshape my frame of mind, my outlook with your outlook. Here's where my heart's at. I seem to understand your heart's over here. Will you close the gap between my heart and your heart? Might take some time, especially if you're way far away. But he'll do it. He'll reshape your outlook. If you quiet down, you be honest, and you seek, with, seek him, listen to him. He'll change your outlook. He'll also change the outlook of some people around you. If you're praying for them, because I'm assuming you don't just pray for yourself, but that you're praying for others too. You know what God loves to do when you pray for other people is strengthen them. When you pray for other people is to change their outlook and their frame of mind. We like to get in and control it right away ourselves. But what if we just started praying for each other going, I need an outlook change. God, please change my outlook. But I've got a family member or a friend or a coworker that could use an outlook change and I can't change a heart. Only you can do that. So God, would you change their outlook? A pastor and worship friend down in the Phoenix area had a young guy come on their uh, team, on the worship team, who had um, a long season of addiction and recovery. It was some drugs, but a lot of it was alcohol. And um, he got rescued by Jesus. He'd been a musician before, and the worship pastor um, met him. They developed a great relationship. They uh, had him start serving on the worship team. And about a year into this relationship, the guy was just growing and serving and all those sorts of things. When they would hang out, occasionally they'd go catch a meal, grab a burger or whatever somewhere. And uh, they started to notice when they get a burger that the young guy would have a beer with the meal, which on its own, who cares? It's no big deal. But because of his background and struggle, they, they got a little concerned and, and worried. And the worship pastor and the, the other pastor, they, they left one of those second or third meal where they'd seen this take place. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, we got to say something. We got to pull him off the worship team. We got to do something. We got to end this quick. We got to correct the behavior. And uh, one of the pastors said, or we could just pray for him. And they went, huh. That's a bold concept. <laughs> and so they looked and they said, let's give it a couple of weeks. Let's commit to pray for him every single day for two weeks. And at the end of that, if we're still feeling a certain way, like we need to go to him, then we'll go to him. If he's in the same spot, we'll have that conversation. But let's just lift him up in prayer first and see what God wants to do about it first. They had their outlook. They assumed that guy had his own outlook. Let's pray. And for two weeks, they prayed every single day for that young man. On day 13, guess what happened? 
The young man asked for a meeting with the two pastors. He initiated it. And he said, hey, I don't know what it is, but I've been in the word and there's a couple verses jumping off the page with regard to, you know, you guys know what my past was and I haven't got drunk or anything, but I'm, I'm back into some stuff and I don't want it to turn into what it was before. I just need to be open and honest with you. And I don't think that's something I can partake in at this season of my life. And they said, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> and they didn't have to go have a conversation. Their prayer for him changed, yeah, their outlook, but it also changed his outlook. And what God can do in us when we pray is maybe some of the most valuable stuff as we reenter that relationship and just be completely transparent and honest, declare some good things about who he is, and let him do what he needs to do in us before he works through us. And so gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for being gracious with us. Thank you for not abandoning us. Lord, I'll be real honest. There's times where I don't slow down. My life is too noisy. I got a whole bunch of out of whack outlooks and frames of mind. And uh, I don't really care if you influence them or inform them at all. So forgive me for that. But thank you for the times where you slow me down and you nourish me up. And thank you even for the waiting times. I think some of the waiting times are, they're certainly tough, but they can be really sweet and precious. Thank you that you meet us right where we're at. And so, Father, we take these final moments as we take communion together and as we lift our voices to you one last time. We take this whole time right now is it time to be honest before you and declare some great things about you that are true, knowing you are trustworthy always, no matter the moment? Thank you for the freedom to be completely transparent that you meet us right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we continue to worship, we're going to take communion in just a moment. And... Uh, as we do, I can't think of a, a better picture of the turn, as Ron phrased it, than the cross. We look at the cross, and Jesus is brutally honest about the, the realities of life and sin and brokenness and hurt and pain, and also honest about how God is going to conquer through him in that moment. And it's this symbolic but also real picture of how in prayer we can come to the Father and cry out honestly, and then there's this turn in this moment where he meets our honesty and says, I'll take it from here. And so as we take communion together this morning, take it knowing that we're actually united with Jesus by the power of the Spirit as we take communion and remember the, the body that Jesus gave up and his blood he allowed to be shed. We remember that didn't stay that way, that he is the conqueror, that he meets us in the midst of our truths, whatever, whatever's going on in life, but then he leads, and he loves, and he gives, and he is victorious. He reigns as king. So during this next song, feel free to come and take the elements, the bread, and the cup to remember uh, that Christ is with us and for us, and that he always wins because his love uh, endures, his love is victorious. Feel free now to come and take the elements for
Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And uh, if this is your first time, we're so glad that you're able to connect. If you get an opportunity, take a moment and jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, we would love to connect with you there. You can also learn a little bit more about who we are, what we're about. And um, yeah, if, uh, if you don't call Restoration Home and you're still just doing the online thing, we just want to encourage you, find a place to get plugged in. It doesn't have to be Restoration Church, but there's something really valuable and important about being a part of the body of Christ together. And so once again, so glad you could tune in. And until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So let's press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.